Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Big Squid Podcast with the latest episode of our science fiction segment, Space Podacy. My name is Justin Hamilton, and today I'm joined by Rove McManus for part one of our look back at Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Thank you very much for joining me today. We're doing something slightly different with the way we put these podcasts out. I'm dropping both episodes on the same day. So normally, if there's a two-parter, I'd spread it out over a couple of days. But I thought, well, let's just see what happens. I'll drop both today and see how you feel about it. Maybe you might like uh, being able to get straight into it. Or maybe you prefer to wait a day. I don't know. But anyway... Let me know on the socials what you prefer. No wrong answers. We'll give this a go this time around. And uh, going forward, we'll see how we feel. Uh, And then that means there's no other podcast for the rest of this week. But you're getting two now. So anyway, let me know. Uh, A few quick plugs before we get into the podcast. Sydney Friends, my solo show, Little Victories, is on next week. That's uh, weird. It's been coming up for a while and then suddenly it's next week. Uh, October 28th at the Sydney Comedy Store. Uh, My listeners can get some money off their tickets by using the promo code PODCAST. This is my first solo show in Sydney in quite a few years. So I'd love it if you could come along and uh, feel free to bring uh, anyone who might be up for uh, a fun night. Uh, I'll also be in Melbourne at the end of November and then I'll be back in Adelaide for the Fringe next year. But we'll talk about those dates uh, later after this one is uh, done and dusted. Uh, Secondly, everyone who subscribes to the Big Squid Patreon has an episode dedicated to them. And today's shout out goes to Steve Emery. Thank you, Steve, for supporting the work that I'm doing here with my friends. And uh, I hope you get a kick out of this two-part chat with Rove. It was fun to go back and look at this movie. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And uh, especially with, you know... 
the whole UFO thing being in the general public and, and being kind of mainstream, but at the same time, weirdly, nobody seems to give a shit. So it felt right. This felt like really good timing, Steve. So uh, I hope you uh, can sink your teeth into this. Uh, for everyone else, if you'd like an episode dedicated to you and access to bonus podcasts, works in progress, scripts, and discounted tickets to live events, live events are coming back, so there'll be more of an opportunity to take advantage of that, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid, and you will find a tier that suits you. Now it is time for us to meet Roy Neary an Indiana electric lineman who finds his quiet and ordinary life turned upside down when he encounters something strange out in the night sky. It's time for us to enter the world of close encounters of the third kind. Indianapolis, Aries 31 has traffic 2 o'clock, slightly above. Can you say aircraft type? Uh, negative center, uh, no distinct outline. Say the truth, the target is rather brilliant. Wait a second. something very unusual. Who are you people? All the way straight from the Enmore Theatre where he has won, uh, what is it, the Best Player Medal at Celebrity Theatre Sports? My team won. Yep. uh, The Fun Lovers, we won, and I received Moment of the Night. Moment of the Night. What was your Moment of the Night? We had to do a scene which was, uh, well, the game is you play a a scene and then you have to redo the scene with an emotion that is given to you. Okay. And you do it three, four times. Yep. So it was uh, taking out the rubbish. Right. And so uh, I was the uh, rubbish man. We're getting to the end of the scene. I was like, I haven't done anything yet. So I came on and just went, <laughs> uh, miming steering wheel. Yep. And literally saying, drive, drive, drive. Yeah. And saying, oh, time to pick up the rubbish and uh, uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, and then that was the end of the scene. And then we did it again, and the emotion we were given was suspicion. Right. So everyone's sort of playing. I'm taking the bins out. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, why are you doing that? What have you got in your bin? And then I walked on again doing my incredible air steering wheel. Yeah. 
and said, drive, 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 but turned to the audience and then went, or am I? <laughs> and apparently that was... The moment of the That night. was all you need to do. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. I don't do a lot of theatre sports. Yeah. But I think people sometimes don't appreciate as stand-ups when you do crowd work uh, how often you are thinking on your feet right? and, and you are trying to create that scene and you are trying to find that um, theatre sports-ism of the yes and. Yeah. So rather than, hey, where are you from? And that person says a suburb and you go, well, that's stupid. You want to say, oh, and what do you do? And yeah. that's interesting. And how did you get into that? And you're trying to just keep it going. So um, I, think, I think there are... You know, slight comparisons that could be made. Uh, so anyway, uh, and you know, we're always playing for laughs, and in theatre sports, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> so anyway, very happy to be here. Do you have uh, an emotion that you enjoy portraying on stage? And because I, I really like crying. I was going to say comedy sadness. Yeah, it's fun. Which sounds, which sounds like a weird juxtaposition. But you, you, when someone says sadness for what they want, yeah. You're going theatrical, yeah. over-the-top, melodramatic sobbing. Yeah. I do enjoy that. A little bit of uh, gagging. I like that as well. A little bit of vomiting. You've been crying so hard, you know, the whole shebang. I like the clenching of the throat. Yep. The, uh, I believe the, the phrase is verklempt, where you, it's like you can't get that breath. It's a very child, childlike thing. You know when you're a kid and you'd fall over? Yeah. And you were so upset, you just couldn't get a breath. So it's that real sort of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you let it out. That's always fun. Yeah. Go big. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a big believer in the big Have crime. you done any improv, like theatre sports stuff? Uh, a long time ago and not much. A little bit, but not, but not much. We used to do... Uh, Back in, uh, like, going right back to the Adelaide days at uh, Bolt's Cafe, we used to, I used to do something with Dave Williams and my dear departed friend Alex Collins. We used to just get up and kind of riff and, you know, act out scenes and stuff like that. I wouldn't necessarily call it theatre sports, but somewhere in that hazy middle ground, you know, where. Yeah. Uh, um, while I was in the States, I, I went and watched uh, a bit of um, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. Right. Um, which is still improv, but it's not the ga- they don't play games. It's not like um, theatre sports, which yeah. is I think actually a copyright idea that somebody came up with. Right. But the idea of just improv, yeah, was really that was really exciting just to sort of watch, you know, these famous people, and if they weren't famous, they probably will be soon enough, ending up on SNL and stuff like that. Right. Just playing out these scenes well it's kind of essentially it's having the confidence to create in front of an audience isn't it because that's what you do when no one's around i'll try this oh that's not working i'll try this oh i think this idea is working i'm going to keep going with this idea for a while ah no that's not working oh hang on i can put these two ideas together if you have the confidence to do that in front of an audience yeah and it's and it's a real team exercise that's what i like about it because stand-up is such a solo game yes it's really nice to to get up on stage and perform with other people and and not for the self gratification which comes from stand up which I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. You know, you, it's great to be in the moment and if someone enjoys the show you go, "Yes, me 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 me." Yeah. <laughs> but this is it 
you realize at the end of the night, you you realize I probably spent ninety five percent of the show enjoying watching other people do their thing, right? And then when it was our turn to get up, I probably said at most two, maybe three lines, yeah, and that's it. And then you sit down, and everyone else does the heavy lifting. So like it was a, a game we had to play, which was it was just sort of playing out a scene. Uh, and we were given a prop, and it was like a violin case. So obviously, it becomes a mobster thing. So the first person gets up, and they start playing this character. And then I went to walk in, but then someone else has come in to play the hey, they're doing like a handover of this, you know, whatever's in the briefcase in the guitar, the violin case. So then I, I have decided, well, I'll be another character that kind of comes in. But then that went out the window. Right. So then I'm like, okay, well, now what do I do? And then they made reference to, hey, this needs to go to Big Tony. So I was like, well, I'll be Big Tony. So I had this rubber chicken that I'd grabbed from a box like I was going to have it shoved under my jacket to go, hey, is anyone looking to buy a yeah. little bit of something, something? Yeah. <laughs> so then instead I, I started stroking it like a, like a cat. Right. Like Blofeld or something. Yeah. And, um, and then I became the, the character. And then, anyway, it's just, it's just that thing of like you're watching what other people are doing. Yeah. And they're, again, offering up something, throwing it into the air, hoping someone catches it and runs with it. Yeah. And that's not something you get to do all the time in stand-up. Yeah. It's, I guess it's kind of like when you get up and do a chat. Like if it's there's yeah. a couple of people on stage just riffing yeah. as, as stand-ups. That's, it's that same sort of thing. You go, hey, I've got a story. It might not necessarily go anywhere, but then maybe someone else can find the punchline for me. Yes. Yeah. You have the confidence that you've got a, a safety net with, uh, exactly. with, with yeah. your friends And that's stage. a nice, fun thing to come off afterwards. You go, it's a, quite a bonding exercise where you yeah. go, well, we all helped each other climb to the top of Everest. Well done. Yeah. Or if you uh, ever worked with Adam Richard and he decided <laughs> to say something that was heinous, you were quite happy to... Walk off the stage and let him take it by himself, which often <laughs> happened at the show. Uh, we should uh, get to this uh, movie, and we always start off by asking, when did you first see Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I feel like it was when I was a kid, because what, re-watching it, and it was yeah. a rewatch. I had a lot of moments that I remember. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of imagery. I don't know about you. I am finding at the moment that I'm watching a lot, rewatching a lot of films, and I can almost pick the scenes that were in the trailers, the right. previews. Right. Like there's just iconic moments that I recall as being that was in the trailer, that was in the trailer. But knowing that I was too young for this to be when it first came out, I'm thinking maybe when it was released on, you know home video yeah. or something because yeah. you get those previews at the start of a movie a yeah. VHS tape so I'm, I'm guessing it was a lot of that so I th- I, but I know enough of the story yeah so I'm guessing this to watch it this time round was maybe my third time I've seen it right I reckon it was about my third time as well yeah. and I definitely saw it on video I missed it at yes. the cinema because uh, yeah, it was yeah, just a I think it just came out slightly. It's like 77. Yeah. So we would have been very young. Five. Yeah. You know, and I think it would have been a bit, I think it would have been pretty scary for a five-year-old. Yeah, that's one of the the things about it. It's, um, I, my big takeaway was how much I appreciate what Steven Spielberg does as a director. Right. Which is walk that fine line of, here's something for kids. There's always that, you know, this is, you can see how this is the precursor to what would be E.T. Yeah. But there's still like some good scares in it, or moments right. that are like really gripping. Plus, you've got Richard Dreyfus, who's you know he's a 
he's a, a, a critically acclaimed actor. He's not. Yeah. He's, it's not like he's uh, he's necessarily a a broad choice. Right. He's obviously a very credible choice yeah. as your lead. So it's not like this was made to be Indiana Jones or or this big rollicking romp or something. So it's it's captured imagination, which I think he's done really really well. But certainly not something I would have watched as a kid. Right. But I do yeah. rem- I do remember like the fi- obviously the iconic notes and yes. things and uh, the molding the mashed potatoes. Yeah. And I do remember as a kid the. The closing scene where you see all the little alien, the aliens yeah. on the ramp was something that really captured my interest as a kid. Yeah, it's uh, it's you also kind of forget how it's permeated through culture mm. as well. And uh, uh, interesting about Dreyfus as well. We'll get to it a little bit later on, but Dreyfus, uh, you know, not the first choice. Uh-huh. And, oh, that's uh, always interesting. Yeah, I'll save it for when we get to it. But there's a there's a great story that Spielberg tells about who he tried to pitch for the movie and you suddenly go wow this this went a whole 180 degrees because Richard Dreyfus very much looks like he might be you know the guy that coaches your son's under 12 yeah. basketball team he's got a great <laughs> schlubby look about him <laughs> yeah at the best of times and he does an incredible job in this yeah part of it is is the script as well but a lot of it are the choices he makes as an actor. He he walks a really fine line between, in the opening, almost being very comedic with what he's yeah, with what he's doing in in you know some of the lines like to to the summer he's like how old are you? <laughs> Even asking his son how old are you? Yeah, and the kid says that and he goes do you want to do you want to live to be nine? Yeah, we we're going to see Pinocchio. Yeah. And his reaction to when he first sees the UFO and he's he's buzzing and some of that stuff it's it's almost like he's playing it for comedy like when when his wife leaves and he's on the bonnet of the car and she drives off and right. he lands on the on the road gets up all the neighbors are looking at him he's disheveled and just in a dressing gown and he does that sort of um, he adjusts himself and yes. pulls the robe over him and struts with pride back into the house. That's yeah. that's comedy. Yeah, yeah. And, but so it, and it's manic and it's uh, yeah. But then obviously yeah. he he can bring it because he's such a great actor. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty remarkable in this. Uh, let's get to the first segment. Google me, Chuck. Top four resp- responses when you Google Close Encounters of the Third Kind. First. What was the point of Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Second, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind scary? Third, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind on Netflix? And for how many Close Encounters movies were there? Oh, God. <laughs> the Close Encounters so, franchise. Yeah. I, I refuse to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind because I hadn't seen the first two kinds. Uh, you know that's where it's come from, don't you? Oh, my God. <laughs> you just know it. Uh, the... Segment first context to these are some of the sci-fi movies that came out before and after in 1973. Westworld, 74. Okay. You have Dark Star, 75. You have Rollerball, 76. You have Logan's Run. Yeah, great All one. Kind of dystopian, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. You know. Then you uh, and then 78. You get Battlestar Galactica. Did great. you? Loved it. Did you see it at the cinema? Because they put the first two. Uh, episodes because uh, at the cinema and it was the first time I'd oh. ever been to the cinema and everything shook when the when the spaceship came on from the from the stereo. I don't remember. I I don't think I did see it. Yeah, I I remember that as a telly movie. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it was. Yeah, but right. 
you know, telling well, that seems to be that was very uh, ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Battlestar Galactica. It was. Fantastic. I must admit, as a kid, you talk about you know what I remember. The third kind part, right. I didn't understand the idea of what a like a first encounter, second mm. encounter, like the idea of you know you see a UFO. I've got that in the squid bits. We can right. do that now if you want. So what a third, the the third kind of encounter is. Yeah. So uh, uh, jumping ahead, close encounter terminology and the system of classification were first suggested by astronomer and UFO researcher J. Allen Hynek in his 1972 book, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry. There have been other categories added, but haven't gained universal acceptance since they lack the scientific rigour that Hynek aimed to bring to ufology. How do you get the title of UFO researcher? Like Someone once said to me... uh, uh, I I did a bit on uh, my LA show where I went out with a, a, a Bigfoot, Matt Moneymaker, who's like the number yeah. one Bigfoot guy, and took me out. We went to go find a Sasquatch. And afterwards, I remember saying to someone like, geez, like, you know, how do you become a Bigfoot expert? Yeah. And they were like, just look at Bigfoot a lot. Right. Like, there's there's no university degree to study Bigfoot. Yeah. You just say... Oh, I, I go out into the woods a lot and I know a lot of stuff about Bigfoot and no one can dispute it because who else knows about Bigfoot? Right. And suddenly if ever there's a sighting, they need someone to talk about it. You're the guy. You're the guy. Welcome to being an expert. Uh, what would you like to be an expert in? I'd be, I think I'd be a multi-universe scientist. Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I could be, you need to be in something that people can't question. Yeah. Um, I would like to be an expert in the uh, taste of lollies. Great. Things like like why banana lollies taste the way they do and uh, pineapple lollies taste the way they do. Like the fact that nothing really tastes like fruit. If you gave me a lolly and blindfolded me, I could tell you exactly what it is. Right. (laughs) I could could tell you the colour. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Then uh, every time there's a new flavour of chocolate or lolly that's brought in or, you know. It doesn't meet up, yeah. Or there'll be be some kind of controversy. Uh, Alan's raspberries don't taste... uh, Lolly flavour expert Rove McManus had this to say. (laughs) Technically, it's not really a strawberry (laughs) flavour because that one actually tastes like strawberry, so it doesn't count. Halfway through the report, you're getting your EpiPen out because you're having a (laughs) diabetic reaction. (laughs) Uh, uh, so So the different... Our encounters... Encounters. First kind, visual sightings of a UFO seemingly less than 150 metres away that show an angular extension and considerable detail. How beautifully specific. So that's so it okay. can't be over at that mountain because that might be anything. Hey, look, at the risk of jumping ahead, have you had a first encounter? I, I just don't think I have. I think I've tried to trick myself into believing I have had yeah, one. I feel that's right. I was yeah. in... Uh, Port Hedland in Western Australia, which is a good spot oh, yeah. to go spotting. Yeah. Um, very clear skies, quiet. Saw something. And we had binoculars. Yeah. So you could see things that looked like potentially satellites because right. they, they came up as round blobs. Right. Moving through the sky. But then there was one that was classic cigar shaped. Right. That was moving in a different way to everything else. However, what I wanted it to do was stop moving. Yes. And then go back in a different direction. Yes. And it kept, like, I felt my mind and my eyes, which are kind of the same thing, were tricking me. Right. Into having it look like it was kind of zigzagging through stars and things, but it was just like, no, I think it's, it's still relatively on a straight trajectory. Yeah. 
So I don't, I don't think I have. My daughter is obsessed with aliens at the moment. Oh, really? And she really wants to accept that I have seen a UFO. So right. she can be of the, I think, of the belief that it is possible. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, um, uh, Ross Coulthard's, uh, Coulthard's book down there in plain oh, yes. sight, which is oh. a hell of a read. Yeah, I know that one. I've been trying to uh, get him on the podcast, but he has not replied to my emails. Rude. Ross, where are you? Talk to me. Um, I just want a first kind encounter with you, Ross. That's yes, all. yes. I want to <laughs> see you from 150 <laughs> metres or closer and have some uh, specific <laughs> details that I can see. But it's a great read in Western Australia because of the... Um, there's an American station out there. Is. There is, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So there's been weird stuff that has happened there. Uh, second kind, a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, ah. animals reacting, a physiological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation or a chemical trace. So that would be like our characters had their sunburn. Yes. Or, yeah, you've seen like what used to be that the crop circles thing, which has kind of been debunked over yeah. the years, but that sort of idea. Yeah. Okay. And then the third kind is UFO encounters in which an animated entity is present. These include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. So if I was a human who had been abducted... Yeah. And now in the employ yeah. of our new alien overlords as a chauffeur, yeah, you, I could I could give you that third encounter. Absolutely. Because if you, you come could. on board and you're like, right, what are you doing here? I'm like, welcome to the third encounter, mate. Right. That's yeah, and you'd say, you're not an alien. I'm like, well, technically no, but no, I'm a, I'm a by the rules set familiar. down yeah, yeah. by UFO experts. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the big theory now is, is that it's uh, UFOs aren't from another planet it's from the future and it's they're coming back to this time because this time's really important to make sure that we don't fuck everything up well it's a bit too late for that yeah you should have come back earlier guys well i guess they have been for a while Supposedly. i mean if you want to look at the the roswell crash and wherever yeah. that sits yeah then for sure yeah okay so well that now that i know that it explains uh yeah as a kid i i think in my mind had was there some kind of first and second encounter movie Right. But this is like, oh, the, this is the third kind. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I love it. <laughs> uh, but, but I was a child. Yeah. Who didn't have a Google. Right. So now, grown adults having to Google, is this one of a uh, franchise yeah. of films? Yeah. It's come on, guys. Like, it's, it's different do when you're a kid. Do you a don't little know bit of the on. heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, Battlestar Galactica came out in 78. 79 was The Black Hole. The- I love The Black Hole. Yeah. I don't want to rewatch it because I feel I. it won't hold up. Uh, Loved Maximilian. Yeah, Vincent, Bob. Vincent, Bob. Yeah. So bashed. Yep, yeah, so bashed. And Flash Gordon, cheers, in 1980. So Brian Blessed's one of his finest hours. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then The Year That Was... Uh, these are the movies that came out the same year as Close Encounters. Capricorn One, which I want to do on this. Oh, have you yeah. ever? I I as I I have never seen it. Yeah. As I understand it, is it a little bit of a sexy film? Uh. Or am I getting too Barbarella with this? No, no. The, so Capricorn One is uh, I've only ever seen it once, but three astronauts are heading to Mars and. 
It's all staged. Are they nude or am I, no, 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 they've all, no. They've all got clothes on, and unfortunately, one of them is OJ Simpson. Oh, so and they're all going there, but it's staged. They're, it's all going to be bullshit. Oh, but then, I have seen this. Yeah, thing. the rocket explodes. I've seen this, and movie. now they're going to kill the astronauts. Yes, yeah, I have seen this. It's movie. great. Uh, the the island of Doctor Moreau. Great. The original, I loved. Yes. The, the special effects don't hold up, but it's a great movie. It's a great movie. A little movie called Star Wars. Never heard and we'll have uh, something about that a little bit later on. And another movie, which I've never heard of before, but I deliberately wrote down because I wanted to tell you. Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scold Myself with Tea, a Czechoslovakian sci-fi comedy that has time travel, Nazis, a twin impersonating his dead brother, anti-aging pills, and someone dying by choking on a croissant. Wow. Is that part of a franchise? Should I Google, is that part of a franchise? (laughs) Do I I have to see the first two? Yeah, and then I scold myself with coffee, and I scold myself with green tea, which brings the trilogy to a (laughs) whole... Very specific title. Tomorrow I'll wake up and scold myself with tea. Anyway, if we can get our hands on that, that will definitely be on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I love the start of this what film. Is it, what, did that, what did that get on Rotten Tomatoes out of interest? Oh, I didn't even look that wow. bit up. I was so busy. Homework. I saw it. So I've got a list of the movies. Too busy typing out the name to have time to do anything else. <laughs> well, I, I read the, the, the blurb on it and that's why I was like... <laughs> Getting all the great bits out, especially someone dying by choking on a croissant. <laughs> uh, so getting into the film, I love the start of this movie. It opens in a sandstorm in the Sonor- Sonoran? Sonoran. Sonoran Desert. Yes. Where researchers have discovered a flight of planes that went missing shortly after World War II. They're in perfect condition and an elderly witness says, the sun came out at night and sang to him. And I love how much drama, mystery and setup is packed into this opening that requires... Very little other than props and good acting. And don't you just wish more blockbusters eschewed garish special effects at the open for just something as simple as this? Yeah, and also just a beautiful Spielberg misdirect. Yeah. Like, as I was watching this again, I just had such a great appreciation or greater appreciation for what he does. And yes, you know, you watch this and go, yeah, this is like the opening of Jurassic Park. So you're looking at everything goes to black and you're waiting for, boom, it's just going to, we're going to see flying saucers and aliens within the first two seconds. Yeah. And it just turns out, no, that the darkness is a sandstorm and the first thing that you think you're going to see is, well, it's a spacecraft and it's not, it's it's a car. Yeah. And it all continues. And, and oh, the big reveal of, well, what is hiding in this desert? Again, it's going to be a crash-landed UFO. It's not. It's fighter planes. What? Yeah. What is this? It's this, this constant tease, tease, tease. You don't even see an actual UFO until the first, like, 25, 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Same as like Jurassic Park, the opening shot is jungle and you see, you know, the leaves moving and something's crashing through and you're waiting for a dinosaur and it's just not a truck that's bringing yeah. one in that you don't see straight away. He does a wonderful job of always just pulling you through without giving you what you really want. Yeah. So the payoff really works. Yeah. It feels nowadays we open with, you know, at the risk of opening an old wound for you. But well, you're going to go this- to Doctor Strange? Yes. <laughs> But I know listeners of this podcast will be loving it. That opening where you're just like, whoa. Sorry, where are we? What's happening? Yeah. Yeah. You hit the ground running and that's not always a good thing. No. But with this, it's it's just, it's fantastic. And I just love watching what seems to be just people being blasted by giant fans 
that are just hurling sand at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such a, a, a mysterious opening and mm. you're immediately intrigued. And then also at the start, you get uh, a scene where air traffic controllers are literally sitting around talking to two people flying planes who are about to have a mid-air collision with a UFO and then it gets to the point where once they've uh, averted all of that, they're like, do you want to report it? And they're like... Nah, no one will believe us anyway, and mm-hmm. no one can be asked. Mm-hmm. Like, like this whole, this whole scene is literally just people talking over each other, and like, and, to talk and the way out. it builds is the whole um, control room. Yeah, suddenly everyone you see getting up off their desk and walking over, and even as I'm watching it, I'm thinking this is going on for a lot. If this was a modern day film, I feel this scene would be chopped in half. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it would be part of almost a montage of all these different things that are happening. Yeah. But it's just let play out and it's it's a it's a beautiful simmering into a boil as you as you see, oh you know, hey, can you just almost I need to go take a loo break. Right. Watch this plane for me. Yeah. And the guy's like, Yeah, how are you going? Oh, we've got something coming up. Well that's right, I'll just check. It doesn't seem to be, you know, any um, you know, military exercises in the yeah. area, and there's no plan that we know of. Just can you keep an eye on it? No, I can't see anything. It was bright. Oh, geez, lights are bright, and it just builds and builds, and then yeah. slowly everybody, almost to the point where, as a viewer, you are made to think this is something that happens a lot. There's a few trigger words that come yeah. in that suddenly gets everybody's attention. Yeah, it plays out, and then that wonderful, do you want to report it? And then from two different pilots going, no, no, no. And I, I think... Uh, Which you think, it must happen a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the implication that I felt as well. And also, I wonder if that scene doesn't work now because, like back then, we because we didn't have the special effects and the ability to show these things at, you know, even in a, a children's show, we had to engage our imagination. So this is kind of perfect because you're filling in the gaps of what Well, I wondered how much of this was brought on from... Spielberg's experience doing Jaws. Right. Where what seems like a great uh, cinematic choice yeah. of not showing, not revealing the shark till, you know, somewhere well into nearly act three of the film. Yeah. Is, it turns out is because, well, the mechanical shark wasn't working. We had yeah. no shark for people to see. <laughs> yeah. You know, one, one scene we had to do a make good where we just did a pickup shot inside someone's swimming pool. Right. To, to fix what we needed at the start. Yeah. So maybe from that, there's kind of almost this Hitchcock sort of just under-promise, over-deliver. Yeah. Of you just, you don't show everything. Don't show your, don't play your hand straight away. Yeah. And whether he learned from, from that to go, well, yeah, don't wow everybody with this incredible spaceship straight away. Save it till the end. Yeah. In part also because... It's not as easy to to make UFOs appear on screen as we might think it is now. Yeah, yeah, and also the the, the simple act of the electricity going out, like the, even that's spooky. You know, oh, that's like, scary. So much is achieved. Oh, wow. Like when when um, uh, is it Barry the kid? Yes, Barry. Who incidentally, when we first see him, is wearing a Boston University sweatshirt. That yeah, I'm gonna say I'm calling that bullshit. That Barry's never been to Boston. Uni. Oh really? <laughs> I don't think he studied there. And the size of, you know, I'm looking at mum. I don't know. Maybe mum did, but I don't think Barry. I don't he, think Barry's. He doesn't seem articulate He hasn't even enough. done O Week yeah. at Boston. Yeah. But when he, he gets abducted, I was watching that whole scene going, this is all 
just colored lights and smoke machines. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And it's and terrifying. And yet it is gripping and t- Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Terrifying. Well, that leads to my very important question for you, which comes with this. <laughs> so three-year-old Barry waking up, his toys yep. operating on oh. their own, deciding to follow whatever it is outside, which forces his mum, Gillian, to chase after him. So my question for you, Rove McManus, if you're in the same shoes with your delightful daughter running out into the night after something potentially supernatural while they and she was giggling while she did it, mm. would you A, chase after her, B, watch from a distance before making up your mind, or C, move house while they uh, while she was gone so you'd never have to deal with any of this again. So so there was no D of make sure the toys are okay. Oh, <laughs> sorry. No, D. I did think there, D, was, make sure there the was a little bit of... E, send Tasma out. There was a little bit of a uh, lacklustre approach to seeing your child wandering into the woods. Right. Where it was just like, Barry, like just could you not, was the tone. Yeah. Um, is it Jillian? Jillian, yeah. Calling out to him. Is she... Like Barry, it's like Barry, Barry like he's making a noise in his room. Right. Or jumping up and down on the bed or something or, you know, just flicking a light on and off, doing something annoying. It's like, your child is running into the woods. You're on the second floor of the house looking down into the garden. Yeah. Granted, a different era. I don't know. They they seem like they live out on a farm. It's pretty. It's a pretty safe property. It's It's the 70s. Yeah. But still... A little more urgency, perhaps. I don't want to cast aspersions, but do you reckon Jillian was probably drinking the night before? Had a oh, had a couple of uh, wine spritzes and was probably a little bit hungover when she was dealing with all of this? Look, can we confirm that it wasn't Jillian that was in the fridge making all that mess? Right, right. We never really saw the <laughs> culprit. Never, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Young Barry has walked in as mum is about to half-empty a can of Coke and smash some eggs on the floor yeah, exactly. before escaping through the convenient doggy door of a dog we never meet yeah, we at never any do. point. Yeah. How handy is yeah, that? how strange. And then she walks back in the front door. Barry, what are you doing? What has happened here? Yeah, this is an elaborate... And she wipes drool something off the bottom of her mouth. Yeah, she had people coming in to check on them the next day and she had to uh, set all of this up to <laughs> cast aspersions on something else. It's, uh, once again, but what you said about the lights and the smoke machine and everything it's all uh, a simple approach but it is all so effective and it's and it does feel more supernatural at this point yeah i same thing when uh richard dreyfus gets to the um railway crossing mm. when the lights first come in and it's that same thing of it's beautifully set up beforehand where you know the the car comes up behind him i love and it you see the lights a second time like, and it's, 
and then up they go. Well, one like one of my favourite scenes in the film. It's just so cleverly done. Yeah. All of these little moments. Yeah. And and then when you know the the radio goes haywire, lights are flicking. Lights that are meant to be on go off. Lights that are meant to be off go on. Yeah. Suddenly he's flooded with lights from above. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. And then what I think is a really lovely effect that now we all know how it's done where he's strapped into a car that is spun around. Yeah. But at the time, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at it through the lens of people in 1977 who would be going, how did they do that? How did they make right. everything in the car just seem to roll around? Right. Like he's in a tumble. I don't know. Not so much that, oh, it looks like he's in a tumble dryer because that's your brain going, I know how it's done. Yeah. But certainly, how do they make all that stuff float around? And then for them to say, we strapped him in and then just, we sp- literally spun, spun the car around. Yeah. But even then, I'm just thinking, in practical terms, how, how do you do that? Yeah. Is it on a huge hydraulic that just goes around? What a huge undertaking. Right. To achieve an effect that may have been able to have been done other, other ways, but just so effective. And all of that is just, it's simple. Yeah. But geez, it does the job to just set up. And then I love. It just it just all settles down. Settles down, and like like it never happened. Mm. Uh, the and then the lovely callback later when it's the misdirective helicopters coming over the hill, right? And then you see similarly the sign as the choppers are coming over. It makes a street sign shake back and forth. Yes, as as Richard's character looks at it, and it almost plants this seed of. Geez, maybe it was just a right. helicopter all along. Yeah, yeah. They did that too. Yeah, was really nice. Yeah, it's such a it's a pretty subtle scene actually because yeah, they all yeah, get yeah. very excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's all a bit, uh, you know, everyone's a bit, you know, getting a shit blown up into their face. And uh, yeah, it's really clever. It also, I feel like uh, that scene is. So well done. It's almost like it's uh, how we view UFO abductions and modern pop culture. Like, it seems to come from that scene, don't you think? Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. I never thought about how much of this might have been based on actual eyewitness accounts or something. Right. But there would be that hive mind mentality of, well, here's what happened to me. Yeah. And I heard it from someone else who saw it in a movie and so they kind of had that similar idea right. of, well, this is what a, an abduction would be like. Because it's always, yeah, the radio right. going haywire and lights going on and off. And yeah. You were an X-Files fan, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. My, one of my favourite uh, episodes is uh, Jose Chung from Outer Space where it starts with the uh, the couple being abducted by aliens who then get abducted by an alien. And, <laughs> and that, that uh, I felt like uh, that opening scene plays very much mm. with this same imagery. And it's so Now, at good. this point, I don't know if this is a question you have in there anyway. Do we know what Roy actually does for a living that yeah. he gets fired from? So he works at the electrical plant. So he's off, you know, so when everything's getting knocked out, he's oh, sent off to check on it. So he's like the... Is it the SES? Is that what I'm Something thinking Something like that, yeah. yeah. So, so he's, he's off. He, he, your power lines go down, yeah. he comes and fixes it. And them. he's being sent. Right. And so everyone's being sent off to go and look at all the that different makes places because there's all these failures. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I had written about Roy as well is uh, uh, I, I kind of find him a little, a little bit unlikable too. Like I find it, like he's compelling, but I, I find him a little bit unlikable. And uh, I have more thoughts about his character for the end of the film, but he's an ordinary man who becomes obsessed with the extraordinary to the detriment of his family. 
and it feels like uh, it, it it feels like he's fine, and then he sees something out there, and he suddenly is trapped by his life, <laughs> and then the, 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 he's trapped in the suburbs of mediocrity, and he needs to yeah, and, find it, and how quickly he will jettison all of that, and he does yeah. admittedly try to bring his family into the fold, yeah, but. He's trying to get them to dive in the deep end with him when, you know, he had an easier get in at the shallow end to make your way there. Type right, of thing. right. And he's kind of dragging them to the hill to go, watch, watch, aliens, aliens. Well, it's crazy. He goes and wakes up his kids. Yeah. Like, would you go and wake up? Uh... Hey, everybody, we're leaving right now in the middle of the night. You've got to see this. Yeah. And because even in that moment, I'm like, what's he going to show them? Like, you've right. got to come and see this. Because obviously you would think, I could take them back to the same spot. That thing, whatever it is, is right. like you know, you could see the most amazing thing just walking down the street. Yeah, you go back to that same spot. It doesn't mean it's going to be there. Yeah. So I thought that was a big call on his part, but I get it. He's just had the adrenaline rush of a lifetime. But yeah, when we do meet him, and in that first scene, he's got the the train set on the table. Yes. Train sets for uh, younger people were yep. what, what grown men used to play with when we didn't have video games. That's right. There was no <laughs> legitimate official action figures. Um, and and also then Ronnie, his wife, saying, could you just not leave your shit everywhere? Yes. And that's a beautiful setup for there's this tiny little house. Yeah. They've got two tables. Yeah. She's like, you can have your entire ridiculous train set on that one table. Just please give me the other table for yeah. myself. Just don't put your shit on my shit, as one of my friends once said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then when he's, his son is saying, hey, can you help me out with my maths? And he's like, Bleh, maths. Yeah. Could you please? I'm trying to with the trains. Yeah. So then even when his son is like, I don't understand what a third is. And he tries to demonstrate by putting a train on the tracks. And it's like, how much of this train needs to be off the tracks before this engine comes tearing through? And hurry up. People are going to die. Yeah. Um, he immediately is set up as as a character that he's a bit of a, a doofus. Yeah. But he's still like, yeah, I don't know if that – you're not going to win Dad of the Year no. by behaving that way. No. he. But that's kind of what makes him compelling is it's not that he's a perfect guy. Yeah. He, he does feel very real. Also, I feel like I feel like that relationship is over the moment when Terry Gar tries – He's amazing. Tries to make out with him after uh, – and he's he's <laughs> – Kissing her, but he's thinking about the UFO. Like his heart is with the little green people already. Yeah, there's the, even that moment where she is setting it up by saying, "Do you remember when we used to come out here to look at each other?" Yeah, which sort of suggests, yeah, there's something that's gone missing from their relationship. Yeah, over the years. Yeah, which can which can happen, and then in the moment, I didn't expect that she would initiate something. Right, and he's like, because I thought it would be more like she's saying, "Oh, you know." It, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but that idea of no, not not right now. Like, I'm not feeling it right now. Yeah, because you've dragged me out here in the middle of the night to look at something that doesn't exist. No, yeah. I don't. I'm not feeling horny. Yeah. Um. So the fact that she instigated it, I thought was really nice. Yeah. And quite empowering. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking around just in He's case like, something. Oh, honey, I've got a headache. For the cuter girl in the bar. Yeah, honey, I've got a burn on half my face. <laughs> Everyone's a little bit too relaxed about the burn on the face. Like, I would be terrified if I saw a UFO and half my face was 
burnt from radiation. Like, yeah. I, but this is, you know, this is back in the era when you'd go and lay on the beach uh, without any sunblock. For you you would put coconut hours. oil on your face. But even like she's like, can you put this tanning stuff on? And he's like, yeah. well, that's not going to work because that makes my skin go orange. Right. So it's not going to match. <laughs> But that really lovely idea of what would the neighbours think? Yeah. We don't want the neighbours to know. Yeah. Or one of his sons bringing the mate over to go, Yeah. hey, look at this. And that wonderful line from from Terry's character where Ronnie says, don't, don't talk about things because the kids are saying, do you believe it's real? Right. And he's like, uh, yeah, I do. And she's like, don't talk about things that when you don't know what you're talking about yet. Yeah. Like, how can you say, yeah, I believe it's true when you don't even know what it is? is was yeah. a really lovely line, I thought. Yeah. Uh, why do you think some of the people who encounter the UFO have the subliminal message of the mountain imprinted into their psyche? I wasn't sure of the point of that. I wasn't sure of the motivations of our um, alien friends right. to do that as well as planting the music, like young Barry's playing it on yep. the xylophone. Terribly, yeah. Well, that xylophone's out of tune is probably what it was. I won't put it right. right. He probably didn't study that at Boston University. <laughs> but like, what was the? Why not just? I guess it's like them saying, "Hey, come turn up to right. Devil's Tower." Yeah. But for what? To to what point? Why pick random people? Right. To just turn up. So, like you know, I mean, instead of just going, people of Earth. We send you a message. Yeah. Everybody turn up this time, this place, this date, yeah. and we will show 27 ourselves. of you have gold tickets. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what it yeah, is. Yeah, make, make some fun out of it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? So if so, <laughs> I, I came to the same conclusion you did, which was the UFOs and the aliens are sending out a vibe that's connecting with the f- certain people who are maybe being on the same wavelength who are who could go with the UFOs, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then I immediately felt devastated for those old people that get flown off in the helicopter because they're meant to be there. They were meant to be there. They're meant to be there. I, I assume they were the ones who set up the little card table that right. then got taken out by the helicopter. Yes, and like they're meant to be there. I was glad our what could have been child kidnapper family when they first arrived. Right. When uh, young Barry's about to cross the road and there's the guy there whistling. Oh, my God. Because like, I had a moment of like, I do not remember this bit. Yeah. I do not remember him potentially being kidnapped right. by who knows what yeah. family of hillbillies, which is probably not a PC term anymore. Right. And and then it was like, oh, no, apparently they're just weirdos yeah. who have seen Bigfoot yeah. and you know <laughs> are there to make everyone else look like crackpots. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that was a... A potentially dark twist that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I was really kind of freaked out by that as well. I was like, I didn't remember any of that either. And they are, that whistling's creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but thank yeah, you. To, to then go, okay, well, uh, even at one point when they were trying to get into the, uh, to the monolith itself. Yeah. And they're like, oh, and apparently Richard Dreyfus, Roy's like worked out, he's mapped it out in his head as he was saying, you should, uh, you should, should try. Uh, sculpting, yeah. Instead of just painting it, because I have a three D rendering of it in my head, yeah. It's still very much like okay, but it's not like you were then told, and this is where you need to go, yeah. So yeah, it was that part of it just had me scratching my head as to the why of it. Yeah, it's a bit of bleak but... because uh, they sent the direct coordinates to the 
scientist experts. Right. Yeah, through the through the music, which is great to see. Um, cartographer Bob Balaban. I didn't oh, realize yeah. it was, at first because he was you know he's got sandstorm blowing yeah. blowing over him in the first couple of minutes of the film. Yeah, it wasn't until a bit later on I went, oh my god. Yeah, it, like from every brilliant Christopher Guest movie and Seinfeld, and he's a, great, a wonderful, wonderful comedic actor as I know him. Yeah, and he's great, great in this. He's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, there's so many, uh, there's so many good affectations. Like uh, we kind of mentioned it briefly before, but Spielberg has that uh, ability to film scenes where people are talking over the top of each other, and it, you still follow oh, yeah. what's going on. And there were two it feels so real, two brilliant scenes. One was that opening one with essentially we're setting up the family household. Yeah, we either need to go to the crazy golf or go to the movies. Yeah. And then similarly later on, there's one where it may have been that chaotic morning when uh, after the abduction when there's other kids running around in the house and, you know, do you believe what's happened and dad's brushing his teeth and the kids are harassing him. But it was just, it was, it was chaos. It's almost like Spielberg said to the kids, you just do what you need to do. Yeah. And to the, to the adults, here's the conversation that needs to happen because that's very real. Yeah. You're having this comment, and the kids are like banging. Like, there's that the opening shot, the kids smacking a doll right on a bassinet in the background. <laughs> yes, that's real life. Yeah, and so wonderfully played. This this family feels like they could be in the same universe as the yeah. ET family yeah, as well. Yeah, like yeah, that because yeah. that family is so well rendered, and the the relationships between the brothers and the sisters are so great. And same thing when when Barry comes back at the end. And he sees his mum and he says to her, are they are they leaving? Are yeah. they coming back? And she says, I don't think they are. In that moment, I felt that I was watching the actor playing his mum. She wasn't acting as much as she was just answering his question. Right. It's almost like Spielberg said to the kid, here's what you need to say. And she just delivered that line either in such a very real way. Yeah. Or just... She, the kid was told just ask this question, and she just genuinely answered, answered "No, it. no, they're not. No, yeah. they're not." She's really good. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of how he does it. Like apparently in Goonies, it was like you know one of the the uh, kids uh, couldn't get one of the lines right. Whoever had to tell the tale of One Eyed Willie was struggling with getting the script right. So Spielberg took him aside and went, "I'm going to tell you the story. So listen, and then." Because apparently your mum told it to you. So I'm going to tell it to you. Yeah. Then when I call action, you just tell that story to the kids. Right. So he just had a, and still does, I guess, has a wonderful way of treating or dealing with child actors. Yeah. And this is perfectly that. Yeah. And it plays out so wonderfully. It's, uh, so I just realised that I hadn't sorted this out with you. Which version did you watch? I watched the original theatrical version. Because there's three. Of Close Close Encounters. Encounters. Yeah. I feel I have seen, I may have watched a later version. Right. Because there was some elements with the aliens at the end that I don't remember seeing that much of the aliens. Right. I remember, I, I feel in my mind's eye, it was more suggested the silhouettes of them rather than actually physically seeing them. Right. So maybe. You do get, you do get quite a bit of them uh, yeah. in, in the end. But did you get uh, the scene with Roy freaking out in the shower? Yes. Yes. All right. So that was a deleted scene. That wasn't ah. in the original version. And I reckon that's a. 
I think that's a really good scene, actually. I think that really adds to the uh, friction of feeling like this is a real family falling apart. And, and yeah, and you need yeah. him to acknowledge that something's going wrong. Yes. And I don't know what it is, but I, I need to sort it out. Yeah. To justify why he's, like, ripping the house to pieces. Yeah. You know, I get... Sure, you need to tear up the plants, find some mud, potentially let your neighbour's geese loose right. to just roam the streets. I mean, street yeah. geese is a real problem. But yeah. I get it. <laughs> but can you not carry stuff through an open front door? I'm Mate, just, just, I'm just putting the front it out door. there. I'm just yeah. putting it out there. One of the biggest and easiest accesses you have to a building yeah. is through the front door. Yeah. Where you don't have to smash a window that just goes into a sink in the kitchen, yeah, and then use a ladder to climb in that tiny little window, even a bedroom window. Even there's that great line from one of his sons: "Can we can we chuck dirt through my window?" Yeah, next? yeah, it's really funny. But all of that is almost so over the top, yeah. ridiculous. You do need. I can see why they put in that scene. You need a something where he is acknowledging this isn't normal. Yeah. Where he has a moment to stop and reflect and go, what is happening? It's an obsession. Yeah. It's like having an addiction. It's like sometimes people don't know what they're doing. So to give him that acknowledgement to the audience and have that moment is is really important. And also, I think you kind of need to see his kids... Freaking out. Disengage from him. Yeah. Yeah. And say, you know, the the crybaby, crybaby thing. Yeah. Because you would hate to think that what seems to be him and his family never seeing each other ever again. Right. You need to be okay with the wife has left. Yeah. And the kids are okay with we won't see dad anymore. Yeah. So you kind of need that moment. He, uh, Dad went uh, Coco Bananas and uh, we're, we're fine not to hang out with him anymore. Uh, the- Again, take, can you not take your clothes on? Take, take your clothes off before you get in the shower? Oh, mate. Like it's- well, I'm not going to tell you how to do you. I've, oh. never, I've never had a first encounter. No, I haven't even had a half encounter. No, I refuse to have one. <laughs> uh, the investigation into the UFOs leads to witnesses in northern India reporting the distinctive noises that they make. The scientists broadcast it into space and get a series of numbers in response, which turns out to be coordinates. Uh, once they work out which uh, area the coordinates point to, the government plants a false report in the media that a train wreck has spilled toxic nerve gas and evacuate the area. How comfortable do you feel watching that storyline now? Because I feel like once upon a time that was tasty and now I feel like QAnon and the rest of the arseholes out there have ruined conspiracies. There's, there was a massive part of that that crossed my mind of this whole it's a government conspiracy was legit yeah. to the point of we're just going to gas some livestock. Oh, my God. That's really confronting. Well, except... Look, I'll nitpick a little bit when they were like, oh, uh, if anyone's still <laughs> also, if anyone's still around, let's gas them too. They'll wake up in a few hours with a headache, but at least they won't know what's been going on. <laughs> Same as we, we did to the, the cows and the horses and yeah. the other street geese, I assume. Yeah. Except that when you're driving past, then they're not sleeping. They're quite clearly dead. Yeah. And if I was a, a, a farmer who woke up and saw all my sheep lying down unconscious in a field. I wouldn't just pack my bags and run. You'd go and check. Right. And wouldn't you see that they were breathing? But that's a very that's a very nitpicky thing. But, yeah, my big takeaway was the idea that, oh, no, the government is behind this. Yeah. 
I know. It, it, is, it is a conspiracy. It is a cover-up. They are hiding it. This idea of, oh, there's a, a fake news story of, of a nerve gas. Even when they're sitting and plotting, okay, what could it be? And we right. can say, oh, there's too many crackpots who will just say they're immune to it. Right. Oh, okay, don't say it's a virus. Like, that was very timely. Don't say it's a virus. People will just say they're immune. Okay. Oh, I've got it. Nerve gas. Yeah. Nice one, boss. And once upon a time, this stuff was all juicy, <laughs> and now it just made me feel dirty because it's like, you know, it's people telling you, yeah, you know, 5G, it's going to control your feelings and yeah. make you walk out into the street and what we what we what we really needed was someone who was like well how did you not fall for all of this oh i made this hat out of foil right duh so yeah i didn't fall for any of it god how embarrassing <laughs> that you didn't do that yeah i know it's it, it, <laughs> I, I feel like uh, that's the like you know when they tried to bring back the x files and i think the problem yeah. with trying to bring it back is that the the zeitgeist has changed and, you know, now, like, you would fucking hate Fox Mulder. Like, once upon a time, he was a rebel. Well, now, by the time they got to the end of the run, they kind right. of fell into a trap of, well, can we say that it's aliens? Right. And then it became, or is it, you know, little grey people were actually government experiments on normal human beings. Right. So there was never really in any, and, and the whole alien conspiracy was a cover up for something else. Yeah, because it just became it became too way too difficult. That was the other part of this that I liked too is that when you're having this vision of something, the way that it plays out with um, Devil's Tower coming up on the television, because the idea is you can't just go Google image search for you know giant monoliths with the right flat part taken off because <laughs> uh, it's quite it's quite iconic when you see it. And then when it's playing out on the television, yeah. it's really nicely done with how you see it crop up a couple of times and it's almost like pant- pantomime. Oh, yeah. It's behind you, just turn around, <laughs> just turn around. Be- beautifully played. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, like uh, there's something that's nice about that era and you can see why there's so many sh- um, films and television shows like Stranger Things is a good example that's set in a particular era that's decades ago, right. so you can erase the whole smartphones, internet, yep. Google searches to just help save time as to, well, why don't they just yeah, why don't they just Google it? Why don't they just do this or just do that? It feels like if you were going to do an X-Files type of show these days, you'd be better off doing it in the 50s. Oh, absolutely. But same with this. It's, it's, it, it, much like you pointed out before with the, the lights and everything. Yeah. You do sit there going, is this one of the first times that the idea of a government conspiracy cover-up was ever addressed? Right. I guess it probably was. I mean, the Roswell thing was probably came down to a bit of that of, you know, they found aliens and Area 51 existed back then. So when, I guess when, it makes sense. When did Roswell become... Uh, it was the 60s, I think? Yeah, but when did it become... Oh, that, oh when it came back. Well, that was well, the, the when it, 90s, wasn't it? When it came into the public uh, consciousness. Uh, well, the I, I remember the doco that came out was in the, I want to say the mid to late 90s. Right. Of the, we, we finally found the footage and we're going to show it to the world. <laughs> yep. Which, uh, once again, in that uh, Jose Chung from Outer Space <laughs> is... Uh, is uh, someone in a suit. That's right. She does the... Uh, 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 Scully does the uh, autopsy and finds a zip. <laughs> Which is great. But, you know, it was like uh, all that... Um... But even when he's trying to drive and he's unfolding these huge street maps... Right. 
you know, at the start when he couldn't find where he was trying to go and he's getting lost and that's yeah. why that first car pulls up behind him because he's not just sitting on his phone. phone he can't yeah. just, you know, he has to work out where he's going. He's listening on the radio and having to unfold these enormous, not even street maps, they were just like a road map that you would buy if you were traveling somewhere. Right. That sort of idea. It's also just a, a nice piece of nostalgia to look and go, yeah, that's right. Remember when we could read maps? Man, I remember the game you'd play in the car on long, long trips where you'd get the... UBD sort of street directory thing. Right. And someone would look up a street in the back of the street directory. Right. And then you'd start the clock to go, right, it's, you know, Johnson Street in this suburb. And then you'd hand the book back and then your sibling would have to look it up, go to the map, find the coordinates. You know, it's E4 on page map 27. They'd have to find the street, point to it with their finger to go, I found it. Right. And they, who could ever do that, the quickest one that round. Oh, really? Was how, that was how we would get by with long car trips. That's so funny. <laughs> when I used to catch public transport with uh, my grandfather, I just used to look out the window and pretended that there was a, uh, a nondescript acrobatic superhero who used to leap back and fo- uh, alongside the, the bus from pole to post box to wall and would stop when the bus stopped. Wow, but could you find Johnson Street? No. Had no idea. Had no idea. Also, I was 27. I was very bored. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, like all that footage came out, you know, and I was like, like it was only, what was it, at the end of last year, beginning of this year? Oh, The footage yeah. of the UFOs and, and yeah. everyone just went. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, but, you know, like I'm watching TV, I'm watching Gogglebox. <laughs> Even the scene, oh, what they had to say about that footage too. They had some scathing reviews. Yeah, um, the, but like, the, that's big news. Yeah, but that scene where the police are holding a press conference, and there's so many people, and even yeah. by today's standards, yeah, that line of, uh, you know, the guy saying, "Well, you know, if if uh, UFOs have." been flying around and landing or whatever, why, why have we got no footage of it? Right. And you could make that argument today. Yeah. But equally, you could make the argument that the news guy makes, which is car crashes happen every day. Right. But we don't have a camera going at the moment that it happens. Right. Because it happens. Yeah. And then afterwards. So you could still make that argument today. And it's just, it's a bit sad that, uh, like even to to cut back when I did go out with Matt Moneymaker to find a Bigfoot, right? We heard something, yeah. That to this day I don't know what it was, right? I know it wasn't a coyote. Uh, we weren't in an area that, that had bears. I've heard plenty of animal sounds, and I don't know what this was. And it was in a break between sort of film. We we didn't have our cameras on at the time, right? So the only two explanations I have are he called a mate yeah. and he said, we are going to be in this mountain at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Can you hike up the mountain probably three hours yeah. to be down at the bottom of the cliff that we just randomly happened to be at because we decided where we wanted to be? Right. He picked the area, we picked the location. At some point, if he sends a text to his mate and says, can you hike up here in the middle of the night and just hide over there? Because it's, it's nighttime, you would see cars. And then can you, at a moment when they're not filming, I'll send you another text message without anyone knowing to then have you make this weird noise that freaks everybody out. Right. 
That's pretty elaborate. Or it's a Bigfoot. Right. Like, that's it, that's, that's it right? Right. So, same with this UFO thing. It's like, why can't you just have that moment of like, well, it could be. Could be. But well, for so many people nowadays, you just go, Bleh. Yeah. It's not. It's not even worth worrying about. Well, it's uh, people, you know, to misquote Fox Mulder, they didn't want to believe. That's very true. Um, but, yeah, I find it fascinating that we... Still my screensaver on my computer. My oh, is wallpaper it? is I want to believe. Except it's um, <laughs> changed the UFO flying. I had that poster yeah. on, my, on my wall. But I now have uh, my wallpaper on my laptop is the I want to believe. Same thing with the pine trees. Except instead of the flying saucer going through, it's Doctor Who's TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> on brand? <laughs> yes. Best of both worlds. Um, let's uh, take a break and then uh, we will come back to the rest of this film. Thank you to Ro for joining me for this episode. And the two of us will be back for part two that is available right now. Uh, a big thank you once again to Steve for being our Patreon supporter for the podcast. Uh, let me know what your thoughts on Close Encounters are, Steve, when you get the chance. If you'd like to join our private Facebook page, head over and answer the three questions. That's important. Answer the three questions so I know you're a real person. You don't have to put too much time and thought into it, but otherwise you might be one of those pesky little bots or one of those fake pages. And uh, we have such a nice group of people over there who are talking about all sorts of things at the moment. I've had to avoid it. Uh, I'm a little bit behind in some of the TV shows that I'm watching. And uh, so, yes, there seems to be a bit of She-Hulk talk. And I I have to be honest, I'm four episodes into She-Hulk and I'm actually having a pretty good time, which is not a sentence I've said about Marvel for a while. (laughs) So... uh, Lots of people over there discussing that. Uh, I, I saw that someone, actually a couple of people, had posted that they'd seen Amsterdam and they really liked it. So that's interesting. The new David O. Russell film, if you've been following that, the two people over at our private Facebook page who are enjoying that movie, I think, bring the total of people who enjoyed that to seven. But anyway made me really curious to see the film, so I love that kind of stuff. But anyway, if you'd like to be a part of that, please come over and join up. And also, if you'd like access to more podcast scripts and even better ticket discounts to live events, head to patreon.com forward slash Hamilton underscore big squid. And look, if money is tight, a top review on Apple Podcasts is also a great way to support our work here. And one final reminder for the Sydney Comedy Store on October 28th, Uh, My show, Little Victories, will be performed. uh, And remember to use your Big Squid Discount podcast and make sure you get that sweet, cheaper ticket. And remember, Patreon supporters, you get the super duper one, which you can find on the Patreon page. All right, let's finish today with a quote from Stephen Hawking. I believe alien life is quite common in the universe, although intelligent life is less so. Some say it has yet to appear on planet Earth. Stephen Hawking coming in with the burn. (laughs) Until then. (laughs) 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.